0: Father, we praise you for this morning. God, we thank you that in this time of in this season of thanksgiving, that uh, Father, we we have you and all that you bring to be thankful for. That you never leave us, you never forsake us, you never turn away from us, Jesus. Father, that you that you love us. Jesus, that you came, that you died for us as an expression of how much you love us. We praise you that we have this ability to come, Lord, and, and celebrate the work that you've already done. So, Father, we ask this morning just for a continued awakening and an awareness of our own hearts, God, of, of who you are, God, of how you view us, of how you want to move in us and how you want to move through us. Jesus, come. Have Your way in our in our midst, Lord. Have Your way in our lives, Father. We love You. We give ourselves to You in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, welcome everybody. I'm, uh, I'm Steve Hambrick. I'm the pastor here at Vintage, and we are glad that you were here. Uh, while the band is breaking down, if you wouldn't mind taking those baskets you passed on earlier, you can pass them back down the other direction for our tithes and our offerings. Also, if you uh, fill like a connect cards, be a time to put that card back in there, and I'll shoot you an email this next week or so just to thank you for being here, and uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Well, this morning, uh we have a treat. A good friend of, of mine and a, a person, a guy here, at, been here at Vintage the last couple of years, Danny Wanell. is going to come and speak. He's right here. There he is. Hey, man. They didn't even invite you up yet. What are you doing? And uh, yeah. And uh, so anyway, we're, we're glad he's here. And Danny, I've been friends for a long time, and uh, just uh, love Danny's heart. And so today, he's going to come and continue on uh, in Philippians chapter two. And uh, so I'm going to pray for him uh, real quick, and uh, then just uh, then I'm going to release him to to do his Jesus thing. So it'll be good. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us. And Father, we thank you for uh, what you're doing in our midst. And we thank you, God, that you have brought Danny this morning just uh, to, to share your heart with us. And so, Father, I ask now that you would, uh, that you would come. And Father, I give you, um, I give you our, our ears and I give you his mouth and say, God, give us ears to hear. I give Danny your words to speak this morning. God, that we can be changed into your image. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning. How are y'all doing? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? <laughs> Pretty good Thanksgiving. I need to speak up here, I'm told. Um, a couple weeks ago, I went to visit my brother on a Veterans Day. He lives up in North Carolina. He's, he's stationed at Fort Bragg, and, and he does, you know, like many of y'all have family who've um, he's done combat operations for probably, gosh, it started in Bosnia, and then it's, you know, it's been in Iraq for 10, 11 years, and Afghanistan. I guess it started in Afghanistan first, and then Iraq after that. And uh, on the way home from North Carolina, we went through Furman. I went to Furman for two years, uh, and then had to transfer to Georgia to get good grades because I could not hang with the Furman people. It was a tough school. But I had Graham and Katie, my kids, with me, and I can't remember if I'd ever taken them to Furman before. And it's in Greenville, South Carolina. And it's just just this picturesque country club of a school. I mean, that's really what it is. It's the nicest place I ever have lived. I ever will live. And it was, you know... Um, so I went there for two years, and I took Graham and Katie there. And it kind of... I hadn't been there in a long time. And, and I made some of my best lifelong friends through Furman. I was only there two years. Um, and... Um, but it brought back some memories, and a couple of memories that came to my mind was, um, I remember, you know, at Furman, everyone had to live in the dorm the first year, and that's probably common at most schools. But outside of our dorm, um, you know, you, you know, it's college, and so you're, and it's Danny, and so I'm always late to class, or running to class, or trying to get to class on time. Really, class isn't that important until the last minute. Then it's important all of a sudden. So, I remember, um, I got up late, and I was rushing to class. And I, um, I can't remember the professor. I think it was Dr. Ott, my chemistry professor. And she was strict. And she just, she was the only professor who really called you out if you were late to class and kind of embarrassed embarrassed you. I guess it did interrupt her a little bit, and it was not inconsiderate on my part. So I remember waking up, got to get to class. And so I raced down. We we're on the third floor. I raced down the flight of stairs. I'm running out. And there's just this little row of bushes. And and i'm you know i'm i've got the adrenaline going right i'm a little late i'm about to get embarrassed by showing up so and i'm feeling kind of good you know and so i i go for it right I, i'm going to hurdle these bushes now the good news is, is i cleared the bushes the bad news on the other side of the bushes is this chain that they use to keep cars you know from pulling up you know up on the um on the uh Sidewalks and parking there. So my foot caught that, that chain, and I mean, I just, bam. But see, I was already late, so everyone was already in class or still in their dorm room. And that, so I kind of laid there for a second, made sure I didn't break anything, I wasn't bleeding, and then I kind of looked around and popped up, hoping, of course, that no one saw me do that. And I, as I started on, I could hear two people laughing. And I was like, crushed. You know, because it it was embarrassing. It was humbling, you know, because I thought I could do it. I didn't anticipate that chain. and it wiped me down. The other thing, when we were there, we saw a professor of mine who was a calculus professor. And uh, and calculus was very humbling for me. And uh, I realized at Furman that I was in way out of my league uh, with these students there. I went through calculus one, thinking I would use calculus in my future. and uh, we might need it. And so I didn't try that hard, and, and I got a C in the class. And I said, "Well, I, you know, I need to go ahead and take calculus two, but this time I'll really try hard." Well, I, uh, calculus two, I pretty much flunked every test. And and the guy who was teaching was an ex-marine marathon guy. So there was just it was it, you know it was easy to him calculus two, but you know it wasn't so much that as it was a friend of mine. He was the president of FCA at the time. His name was Jonathan Rogers. He was a great guy. But he would come in only on the day of the review, the day before the test. So every other week we had a test, and he would only show up. Now, he was an English major. This makes it worse. He was an English major. He writes children's books to this day. That's what he does. But he would show up the day before the test, review with the professor, Calculus 2, and get, you know... A's and B's. I would stay up all night, lose five pounds, drink five pounds of coffee, trying to study, trying to jam this into my brain, and I I could barely pass the class. I got a D, and he gave it to me. So um, I think with the promise that I would not continue on. So, um, um, So that was pretty humbling, and rightly so. I mean, Jonathan was a lot smarter than me. Um, you know, the other thing that happened at Furman is that there was a, there was a girl. There's always a girl, right? And there, so there's a girl, and, and I asked her out, and, you know, she had an excuse. And I said, okay, all right, maybe she really had an excuse. You know, wishful thinking on my part. And uh, so I asked her out again, and, and she had another excuse this time. So I said, that's it. You know, I, I'm not going to ask her out again. That's, that's as much... Humiliation is I'm willing to take on. I mean, I just, that's it. Receive my cup and it's full and that's all, no more. So, but I got word from her sister that if I just would ask her a third time, she would go. And I didn't do it. I said, that was it. I couldn't, I'd had all I could handle. So, uh, you know, as we go into these verses and we're thinking about humility, you know, why would any of us seek to be humbled? To be embarrassed, to, to put ourselves in a position where uh, we're going to get rejected, neglected, laughed at, embarrassed, you know, uh, maybe feel inadequate, you know, someone is really smarter than me, you know, makes better decisions than me, is more wise than me. Why would we put ourselves in those positions? And so Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, says in chapter two, he says, Hey, if there's if there's any consolation of our fellowship, of my ministry with you and your participation in the gospel with me, their church. If there's any consolation in our church life, in our fellowship, you know, then let's get united in one purpose, in, intent on one thing, for one goal, making His joy complete by what? Humbling ourselves before each other. He says, "...do nothing from selfish ambition or for your own concern or empty conceit, but also look out for the regard of other people. Now, now why would we do that, honestly? What benefit do we get by taking the time to really think of others before ourselves? Why would we humble ourselves and actually not just be polite to other people, Because this is not just about politeness, but it's actually about making other people more important than us. Giving them respect. Giving them honor. Treating them with um, uh, a reverence that they, they belong to God. Especially those of us in the house of God. Christians. People who are participating in the gospel with Paul. He says, Humble yourselves. Do not look after your own needs, but look out for the needs of others. Why would we do that? The, um, the great thing about what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to protect them in light of their growth in the gospel. He says, look, you, you have, I'm in prison. I'm writing you this letter. He basically says everything but you're my favorite church. He really loves on the Philippians. And he, and he humbles himself and says, make my joy complete. I want, to be on, I want us to be like-minded. I want us to be together in this. I want to participate with you in your life, and I want you to participate with me in my life. Humility leads to participation. Humility leads to participation. You know, my brother, who I mentioned earlier in North Carolina, you know, when I get around him now, you know, I'm humbled. You know, he's been to war. Um, and he's, you know, we took our family up to, to Arlington to see all the crosses at the National Cemetery. It's tough. It's humbling. You realize the sacrifices that other people have made on our behalf. And so you treat, I treat my brother differently. He's, he's more precious to me. He's more important to me. I know what he's done. Right? I know how many funerals he's been to. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing to hear these stories, especially after 10, 12 years of this. Well, you know, we have our lives and our testimonies. And we have our stories. We have our own casualties. We have our own woundedness. And, and we need to treat each other in such a way that gives re- respect and reverence. To to where we are, what we've been through, so that we can press on in Christ and move forward in Him. So so Paul makes it clear, he's actually so happy with the Philippian church. Remember, the Corinthian church, he says, hey, I wish I could write to you that y'all were mature, but you're really childish, you got... You know, you're trying to, you've got jealousies amongst each other. You've got bragging amongst each other. Someone says, hey, I'm of Apollos. You know, I'm this kind of spiritual person. Well, I'm of Peter. And then the super spiritual crowd are, well, I'm of Jesus. You know, I'm of the Jesus party, you know. Who can trump that, you know, because, you know, I'm just about Jesus. You know, I'm not going to humble myself and interact with everybody. I'm going to use Jesus' name to make myself look more spiritual, which is kind of what's going on in 1 Corinthians. But here in Philippians, he doesn't have to. He can go right to the maturity. He says, I am praying that God will perfect the work I started you in chapter 1. He's teaching them maturity here, perfection, striving on in the Lord. And that's why he wants them to be ready for all the persecution they're about to face that he told them, hey, I'm facing this at the end of chapter 1 and you're about to participate in it too. So how important it is to be humble with each other, to not just think out of our own interest, but to respect what's going on in other people's lives. And he goes on and he says, "...have this attitude in yourself, which was was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped." Now think about Jesus. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was life. This is Christ. This is the Creator. This is the Lord. This is the one who rules over the demons, rules over disease, rules over death. He has angels sitting before him. He has full glory. He has full praise. Why should he humble himself? Why should he think of others before he thinks of himself? Why did he empty himself, it says? He did it obviously out of great love for the Father. And He did it obviously out of great love for us. You know, let's break down selfishness. Selfishness is not... It's something the world encourages. Our flesh encourages it. To take care of ourselves, To look after ourselves. But when we're in the Spirit, when we're in the Kingdom, when we're thinking it the way Christ thinks it, then we're actually thinking about God's glory, God's... Will, God's presence, what He's doing, not just what's going on in our own life. And being sensitive to what's going on in other people's lives. And what does it say that Jesus, He obeyed, how, how much? How far did He take it? How far did, was He willing to humble Himself to death? In, in Hebrews, it says, if you read Hebrews 5, it describes Him, mean, He's like He had to learn obedience. The Lord of glory had to learn obedience for our benefit. He humbled Himself by even serving us right before we even cared about Him, before we even acknowledged Him. He humbled Himself. A great way of of understanding this, I love this illustration, is when you drive down I-75 and the speed limit says 70 and you're going 85, and you're like, oh, there's a cop. I need to slow back down. You pull it back down to 70, right? And you, but, but in your heart, you want to drive 85 miles per hour. But the sign says 70, and there's a cop, you know, or you just got a ticket, or you just haven't had a ticket, and you don't want a ticket, or your kid's in the car, or something's going on, so you, you drive the speed limit. But in your heart, you don't want to drive 70. You don't agree with it. You know, that's our heart towards God. We don't agree with Him. We don't agree with the law. When it tells us to humble ourselves, we want to exert ourselves. When we hear that Jesus didn't try to grasp an advantage for his own life, but sacrifice his life for God's glory, we kind of shrink back from that. We have a hard time agreeing with obeying God. We have a hard time agreeing. We know we're supposed to. but, But this is the kind of attitude that says 70 miles per hour is the most beautiful speed limit. I love that speed limit. There's no better speed limit than 70 miles per hour. How could I ever think of driving anything else but 70 miles per hour? Now, that's the attitude of a love for the Lord and the law. And, of course, we weren't there. Let's not fool ourselves. We are all without Christ in darkness. We were in resistance to Him. And we didn't love Him. And we didn't love the the commands he brought upon us. We didn't go, oh, I get to repent today. I get to confess my sins. Until, what, you've tasted freedom. Then you love those things, right? You love those things. So Paul, so Jesus was able, to the point of death, willing to humble himself for people like us, for people like them, you know, for the Florida Gators. Steve. So... (laughs) Um, and all you other Georgia fans. No, I'm just kidding. uh, So he was willing. His circumstances did not define his humility. See, we have this great attempt to try to control our circumstances. We want to be in control of just how much humility we have. Just how obedient we are going to be forced to do. Just how far am I willing to take it I have to be in control of of what people think of me, of my appearance, of my achievement. Matter of fact, I might step on someone else's reputation at work because you know everybody does that, right? Everybody's stepping on someone else's work ethic, but they're not, you know, as long as your work ethic isn't in question or your integrity. You might question someone else's appearance the way they talk. You might question the way they walk with the Lord. You might question anything in comparison with someone else. And so when what happens is, is what circumstances are we letting dictate our level of humility before the Lord? Christ was willing, even in the circumstances of humbling himself for our benefit, to the point of death, to the point of scourging, to the point of a thorn of crowns, to the point of being misunderstood. Not just then, now. He's still misunderstood. He still doesn't get all the glory yet. Of course, he knew what, like it says, one day, every tongue, every knee. So he had a great reason to endure this humility. And Paul is calling the church, he's calling us, he's calling the Philippians to endure humbling ourselves before each other. We can go to church, or we can be the church, right? Y'all know that. We humble ourselves when we gather together and worship and we don't hold back. We humble ourselves when we gather and we go to the small group, not because you're getting anything out of it, but because you might have encouragement for somebody else. And then they, vice versa, verse vice, they have it for you. What circumstances keep you? You know, I used to think I had a great testimony. I mean, I I could list all these things that happened in my life and kind of felt sorry for myself. Now I I had a reason. If I could just tell you and explain to you why I'm always frustrated, I've got reasons. If I could explain to you why I'm not joyful, I, I have reasons. You know, life is difficult. The problem is... Life's kind of difficult for you too, isn't it? And and unfortunately, it, it's more difficult for others than it really is for me. And I have to humble myself in awareness of that. Because you know what I regret in all of my difficulties? I don't actually regret the circumstances anymore. I regret the fact that I did not humble myself in them and obey the Lord. I always regret disobedience. You know the difference really, between those who are in the Lord and those who aren't? is Some of us struggle, and as we'll find out, with fear and trembling about our disobedience, about missing the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. That is a healthy sign of the Spirit of God working in you until that day, right, that we, we go to heaven. So, let's not let our circumstances dictate our humility and let's give up our control of our own humility specifically in this way of being obedient matter of fact how do you know we're humble how do you know you're humble it is directly correlated to your willingness to obey I used to hate the word obedience it just didn't feel good it you know, I just, it didn't sit naturally on me. I remember when I first became a Christian, I would hear the word holiness and I would just, you know, that's not, I wasn't naturally attracted to holiness. Now I was attracted to love and peace and joy. I was attracted to, you know, to, but, but as I mature, as we mature, we begin to embrace holiness holding to the faith of our righteousness, of, you know, that's of the righteousness revealed in Christ, we begin to long for it and, and pursue it. And so, as we let go of our circumstances, we begin to become more obedient. And no longer do our circumstances determine our level of obedience. And, boy, the freedom and the joy that comes in obedience... The joy that comes from the approval we get with God trumps any approval that we can give ourselves or that someone else can give to us. You know, idolatry is pervasive, right? I mean, this world, right, is fallen. We really should give up on it, right? We we really shouldn't be intimidated by it. We shouldn't envy the wicked. We shouldn't envy the successful. Do you hear that? I'm giving you permission. Do not envy the successful. Do not envy the wise. Do not envy those who have money. Do not envy those who are good looking. Do not envy those who are popular. You're free. You don't have to envy them anymore because you have everything you need in Christ but those things are empty and they will lead to failure. Do not be intimidated by these things. So idolatry, whether it's just of all the idols that come into your mind, ultimately serves ourself. Idols make you feel good about yourself. I mean, you can call them addictions, you can call them temptations, weaknesses, ailments, I don't know, thorn in the flesh, but idols are about us. Idols are about us. And the reason idols always fail is because, unfortunately, idols are created by us. Now, we don't create things that are everlasting and everlasting and everlasting. We create things that are fail and in the flesh. And so part of unwinding from the idolatry of our heart is humbling ourselves to the point of obedience before each other. Now, how can we actually have the ability to walk like, like Paul is telling them, to do nothing from selfish ambition... To, do, to think of others before yourself, to do it just like Christ did. I mean, that's the attitude that we have. He goes on, he says, so then, so then, because Christ was exalted as a result of His humility, Christ was vindicated because of the result of His humility, what, what does this mean for you and your humble obedience to the Lord? And... Humble obedience to the Lord is not a private matter. This is a Philippian matter. This is a church matter. So when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he's talking about working out our humble regard of others is more important than ourselves in this body, in vintage, in any group of Christians that you gather with be it small or large, that we, that we work out our salvation. It is a reflection of who we are that we can humble ourselves and serve others and think of others before ourselves. The fear and trembling is that we might forget to love those who God is loving in this church. The fear and trembling is that we would think lightly of their testimony and of the work of God in them. I went to seminary, survived, um, loved it, actually. There was a guy who, who was as harsh an individual as I had ever met. Um, was fierce in his convictions. Um, had pretty much narrowed the church to a little vein of anything. You know, everyone else was on either this side or that side. And, uh, but, and I, I could not imagine this guy in the pulpit. I couldn't imagine him in his office ministering to somebody as a pastor. I couldn't imagine him shepherding somebody, you know. He, he knew the book, and he would throw the book at you. But, but, you know, I heard his testimony broke me. His testimony transformed my opinion of him. The the next time I heard him preach in the seminary, unbelievable. Because I knew who God was in his life. I saw him in light of what Christ had done in him. And, and sometimes our church, and this is just an encouragement for us, I'm a part of this church, So is that when we apply ourselves and participate with each other in our small groups, in our LTG groups, in, you know, which are men's groups or women's groups, or in corporate fellowship, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. This is not just an individual thing that we're doing here. Our kids need to see us worshiping the Lord together. They need to be have a badge that says that they will always humble themselves before God with God's people and feel comfortable doing that. And we need to show them humility. We need to lead with our own submissive attitudes before the Lord so that they can see it. So... Paul is encouraging them as you work out your salvation. This is a collective thing. This is not your individual salvation in the Lord' forgiveness of your sins, which he kind of talks about in Philippians three, which we don't have time to go into right now. Steve will get that. So, but it's because you've been saved, you've been humbled. Work it out in fear and trembling with those around you. That's the whole context of the whole chapter two, is working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Through humility, through humility, and specifically not just humility before God, but humility before one another. But specifically through humility before one another, and as we grow in the Lord, we can be more obedient to being humble before each other. the um, The other thing that he then progresses on to, when he talks about this fear and trembling. Matter of fact. Just to give you another encouragement on that verse. In Proverbs, it tells us that, that when we don't fear the Lord, that our hearts are being hardened. Proverbs 28. It's just, it's just a spiritual principle. Do not resist fear and trembling, okay? Because God's the one who shows up, right? For it's that God who is at work in you, is what it says in the very next uh, phrase. God is at work in you. So you can humble yourself. Because if you're not trembling, if we're not respecting each other, honoring each other, then maybe it's because we have a hardness of our heart. If we think so little of our relationships with each other, it's because we might have a hard heart, but not just towards God, but towards each other and in the Word in the Gospel. So there's got to be a willingness to wait and see, let God work it out on our behalf. Didn't God just do an amazing thing when He worked it out on Christ's behalf? Let's see, Christ humbled Himself and He's exalted. Christ humbled Himself to the point of death and every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow. Can we not have the same confidence that the very power of God when we humble ourselves before Him will show up in our church, in our small groups, in our families, in our hearts, And take care of us. That he's going to work it out for us. Whatever we give up in mutual humility, we're going to gain in the work of God. And we're going to enjoy that work of God. So he goes on and he says, do nothing with grumbling or disputing. Now, when I first was talking to Steve, he asked me to, to... uh, maybe if I wanted to speak on this I focused on this verse a lot because I work at a gym um, and, uh, and I deal with the general public and I deal with all sorts of different kinds of people and, and I, I'm very naive I grew up with wonderful parents we are, we are meek the Whannell family we're meek <laughs> we're the mighty meek else. I'm kind of teasing a little bit um, introverts by nature uh, which is kind of crazy considering what my brother does. And just to kind of speak some respect to that, the reason my brother can operate the way he does and the guys with him is because they have humbled themselves to something that's more important and in the light way that we would humble ourselves to things that are much more important. But, but grumbling and disputing at the gym, I cannot tell you how many times people will come up to me and, you, know, you know, I might hire them and give them a job and they'll say, you know, we make this agreement. Hey, you know, I'm going to hire you. You're not going to be at any value to my gym for three months because you don't know what you're doing. i got to train you. i got to explain it to you. And, you know, and then after three months, then... But I said, you know, I, you don't... You know, if something ever comes along, that's better. I mean, you're not making a lifelong employment contract here or anything like that. But I want you to understand, hey, you know... I am when I interview people I'm looking for someone who this is a long-term viable option for them you know not just a a fly-by-night job um and um so I remember this guy who came and 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 we did a lot to set him up and um and I remember he got a better job offer after he worked for us for about six months and kind of the terms we did actually have an employment contract with him for about a year and um and granted, it was verbal. I mean, it's not about that. The point is he said, hey, i got to do what's best for me. i got to make, you know, my commitment to you is as good as long as there's nothing better comes along for me. You know, my commitment to you is as good as long as there's nothing better for my family. You know, because I can compromise my integrity if, to you if it isn't what's best for my family. And I, and I say that very lightly. I'm just saying people can manipulate things and can say things. But the question there is his willingness to follow through with a level of commitment. When we grumble, when we dispute it with each other because we're not getting something, because we're seeking ourself, it begins to lead to dissension. And then no longer can we be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation because it's a discouragement to others, our complaining and our, our grumbling. Some of us use complaining and grumbling to manipulate others so that we get what we want. Some some of us use complaining and grumbling to, um, to uh, uh, well, let's just say that, just to get our way or to punish other people because we didn't get our way. You know, Um Now, complaining and grumbling is indeed sinful. Okay. Now, let's just clarify something that may be running through your mind. Sharing, opening your heart, is not complaining and grumbling. Those are two different things. Complaining in its very inherent nature is self-oriented. It's selfish. So it's nothing like when two people who are believers or friends share with each other and bear one another's burdens. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when it's just a self-focused complaint and a self-focused concern that's being expressed. And the opposite of that is boldness. Complaining about what's going on in our life versus boldness in obedience. You know, things get a lot clearer when we make decisions not based on our tendency to complain in our hearts, but our decisions become a lot clearer when we make obedience to what is right, what is good, what is pleasing. These are things that Paul talks about. So as, as we wind down the message here about humility and what God is calling us to do, he wants us to, to, to search our hearts from his word. Let his word search our hearts. Let's see if we're still holding fast the word of life, like it says there in verse 16. Are we complaining and grumbling only? You know, are we complaining in such that we are actually giving a reason for no bold obedience? So there's... I just want to say there's nothing wrong with being broken, you know, and sharing and having a bad day and venting. It becomes a problem when it now becomes an excuse for lack of obedience, a lack of how we specifically obey God in being loving with other people, patient with other people. Are we dumping on other people with our complaining? There's, are we, do, do you see where I'm getting at there? This is not to close us in, because when we do that, God has called us what to be blameless and innocent, blameless and innocent, specifically in regard of doing things out of selfishness. The whole chapter dealing with this selfishness. He wants us to be blameless and innocent in the midst of a perverted and crooked generation. Crooked, they're just dishonest. Just good old-fashioned dishonesty, crooked. Perverse, twisting the truth. Twisting the truth. Some of us, right, we twist the truth or we get tempted to twist the truth or we deal with people who twist the truth for selfish gain. Some of us are just crooked for selfish gain. But when we are blameless, when we are innocent in our selfless dealings with each other, considering how it might impact somebody else, not just considering how it impacts us, then we become lights. Because remember, for what reason would we humble ourselves? Why why would those who we work with Those who are our neighbors, those in our families, humble themselves. I mean, why would they do that if they didn't have the hope of the Lord, if they weren't holding fast the word of life? And so as, as, as we think about following the Lord in discipleship and we humble ourselves, let us be found obedient specifically in how we deal with each other. And let's not take light our fellowship here in our small groups, in our worship, and just dump on each other. But let's bear one another's burdens. Let's not just be takers, but let's be givers. And let's see what happens when God shows up when we humble ourselves. Because the great comfort is, just like he says at the end of Philippians in chapter 4, he says, Be gentle, be gentle, for the Lord is near. Why can we be gentle and not be aggressive with our self-interest and our selfishness around those? Because we know the Lord is near. We know that He has come and that He is coming. So as we search our hearts this morning, and we, one, we worship Christ, that He would humble Himself to the point that He did and we honor God and bless God and join with God, that, that Christ was exalted and we get to be a part of that, then let's search our hearts and say, have my complaints, have my grumblings been, been just too much for those around me? Has it been more of a discouragement to them? And, and these, are, these are subtle things. You know, I, you know, so these are things that we would go to the Lord and ask Him to, to speak to us on that we might be a blessing to others and be free and comfortable with tripping over bushes and chains, making another attempt to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord with each other. And maybe, just maybe, those around us will see, hey, their confidence is not in themselves, but their confidence is in the Lord, and they'll find hope. You know who... You know, one of the great things about humility when we're obedient to each other and to God in that is you know who it really reaches? Those who've been humbled. Those who've been humbled. We want to be a light to those who are broken and hurting and who've been humbled by their circumstances. So as we live out humility, it becomes this great invitation to the lost. It's okay to be humbled because in there you find the Lord. You find salvation. You find grace. You find joy. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we just bless you so much that when, that when we empty ourselves and actually consider others first, that you're going to take care of us. I love you, Jesus. You told us, I just love that you told us, that blessed are the gentle in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. God, we don't have to try to inherit and take and grasp anything for ourselves. Not anymore. I mean, really. Thank you, God. We are free from having to accumulate things for ourselves of any shape, form, or fashion. Because You have filled us with life, real life, true life, eternal life. Great freedom, Lord, to love and to be loved. Thank You, God, for humbling Yourself and coming to us and being with us. Lord, bless this church with Your Spirit. Your Spirit, the fellowship of Your Word, the unity of purpose and wonderful joy that comes through walking before You together. Even now, Lord, just come and, and speak
0: to us. Amen. Amen. This morning, obviously, uh, this, those of you who knew how we end our time is this. If you need to leave as soon as we walk off stage, you're more than more than welcome to go. Um, if you'd like to stay, we have a time of ministry. And the time of ministry looks like this. We have um, ministry teams who are here at the front available. If you'd like someone to come and pray with you this morning, even in dealing with some of the things that Danny's uh, been talking about this morning, this idea of humility and humbling ourselves, especially in the context of living life with one another, let's just be honest. I me, mean, this is a, it's a um, very counter-cultural uh, message. If it's not hard for you in hearing this message, then more than likely you should go back and listen to it again, <laughs> because it should be. There's a working out our salvation with a fear and trembling in the context of a community that, that's never easy. And so I encourage you this morning, if you have time, just to kind of sit before the Lord and and let him, and just ask, just ask him the question, God, how, how am I doing? How am I doing in this area of really humbling myself before my, my my family, before my spouse, before people I work with? God, how am I doing with my neighbors? How am I doing with people at Vintage? And how am I doing? Well, just be honest with me. Just share with me, Jesus, how you think I'm doing. And then give him space to speak into that. And... Um, and he'll always—he's a compassionate, loving God, and but sometimes honesty, sometimes honesty hurts, and that's part of it. And uh, so, just the Lord—I just want to ask you, all if you can, let the Lord just move in you this morning. If you can't, if you got to go, I completely understand. Second way, if you want to come, we have uh, communion available. Obviously, communion is this—is this, is this picture—is uh, it is the picture of humility? It's the picture of Jesus leaving perfection in heaven. To come to a people that he loves, but it's a fallen place, it's a broken place, and he gets to come and serve and humble himself before himself before the broken places and the broken people. That's difficult. That's difficult. And so, as you come and you take communion, then you can allow the Lord that message just to ring true inside of you. So, with that, you guys, we love you. If you'd like to come forward, ministry teams, you can go ahead and come forward. Like to come for ministry you can do that, if you like to stay, just be in worship, you can do that. If you need to go, as soon as you go, make sure you stop at the table and sign up for everything on that table. Uh, seriously, sign up. There's something God's calling you to in that. That'd be great. And uh, we love you guys, and we'll see you next week.